following content is a PodCloud Network yeah. production. Hey, oh. What it do, listeners? Today is Monday, December 18th, 2017, and I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. Listeners, the show airs every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. And if you haven't done so, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss a damn thing. And if you have any questions, listeners, that you would like to be aired on the show and answered by me and the Mad Mike, you can shoot them through email to Lloyd at PartMyFresh.com or you can send them directly through the website and you could also follow us on social media listeners at Lloyd A. Thompson one word on Twitter and Lloyd A. Thompson one word on Instagram be sure to hit that follow button so you can see what's going on as always listeners very exciting show for you this week we got our good friend Langston Galloway from the Detroit Pristons calling in so we can find out what's going on with Langston we also got another good friend of ours, Trey Gilder, who plays professional ball overseas and also played professional ball in the NBA with the Memphis Grizzlies for a short time. We're going to hit him up and see what's going on with him. We're also going to talk about the New York Yankees as they continue to make moves, trading away Chase Headley and another pitcher to make room for some younger players. And we're also going to talk about the New York Knickerbockers who are three games above 500 and playing really good basketball. So guys, as always, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey, yo, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports with Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike. Let's go, fellas. As always, listeners, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is and where he's calling from today. Yo, Mad Mike, where you calling from today, baby? I'm home for the holidays, brother. Home for the holidays. That's right. You did mention in the last show that you was home for the holidays. You was going to be there until the start of the new year and bringing in, you know, spending some time with the family. So, you know, I always got to check in and make sure that that's where you still are because I know you be moving out and about, brother. Yeah, yeah, but uh, New York was a hot spot this week. Had Melo come back home. And sure enough was. And speaking of the Knicks, and speaking of Carmelo Anthony, the Knicks used the team approach to surge without Chris Daps Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr., Mad Mike. Yeah, they, oof, I, I, they, they've had a great week, and it's surprising because you know they, they, they lost that that game at home to Chicago, and you, you, we thought the the wheels were falling off, and they rebounded, you know, this past week and won three straight, and uh, you know, like you said, uh, played complete team basketball Saturday night. Now the afterglow. Of the Knicks outplaying the Thunder and Carmelo Anthony's Madison Square Garden homecoming on Saturday night probably lasted them dudes into the wee hours. It was a big game for them, you know, and they felt good about themselves after that. It was their fourth victory in a row. I like the way the Knicks gave Melo a little um, pregame 
uh, video tribute. Um, the announcer of the Knicks announced him as he always done. You know when Carmelo was in a you know was in a Knicks uniform. So I thought that was a class act by the Knicks to show their appreciation for Carmelo Anthony. But you know the Knicks would rather win with with Kristaps Porzingis, Mad Mike, who missed the game because of a sore left knee, and he could miss tonight's game against Charlotte. But the Knicks, who are three games above 500 at 16 and 13, beat Anthony and the OKC Thunder with six players scoring in double figures, Mad Mike, led by Michael Beasley, who poured in 30 points, and that tied his season high. And, you know, Beasley started in Porzingis' place and outscored Carmelo Anthony by 18 points, Mad Mike. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just that, that Beasley outscored him. It was that Beasley dominated him. It, it wasn't, you know, in the first quarter, uh, Melo, you know, I, I, <laughs> Melo felt felt the passion from the crowd. You know, every time Melo touched the ball, he thought he had on a Knicks jersey, the crowd was cheering for him so loud. And um, he fed off of that. But, you know, as, as the uh, game wore on, you know, you, you saw those tired, you know, veteran legs. He started missing a lot of shots. And he couldn't stay in front of Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley had one of his most efficient nights as a Nick. It was probably his best night as a Nick. And not only that, but talking about a guy who could score at will, he was a willing passer on Saturday Saturday night as well. And he was efficient. He was efficient from the field. So it wasn't like, you know, he was taking a bunch of shots. You know, because one, one thing I've noticed about Beasley is sometimes Beasley could be a ball hog. And sometimes when the ball comes to him, he'll stop. But he was very efficient from the field in that win over OKC in the garden. Yeah, I thought, I thought you know, it's funny because uh, when KP went down against Brooklyn, you, you saw the Beasley that you're talking about. You know, automatically they inserted him. They He just felt like, all right, with KP out, they need points from me. And he completely, like, he completely melted down. Uh, he forgot about his teammates. Um, he allowed uh, Brooklyn to get back into the game. He didn't do that on Saturday night. On Saturday night, he played within himself. Um, I, I think he 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 missed like only like six or seven shots. You know, he he made eleven baskets. Uh, he he made it look easy. That when he's hitting like that, um, this team is dangerous. And I'll tell you this: if if, if Jeff Hornacek can find a regular role for for Michael Beasley when KP comes back. Uh, we're talking about a team that these Knicks are averaging like one, you know, 105 points a game, 106 points a game, you know, something like that. They, they might be able to boost it up. That's my only thing. And the odd thing is that Beasley has played some. And then when Chris Porzingis has played in the games, Beasley's time has diminished. So I'm hoping Hornacek doesn't do that um, with Beasley when Chris comes back because Beasley could score. He just has to play within a system. And if he can play within the system, the Knicks are that much better. And, you know, I just want to add, Matt Mike, that the Knicks have played nine more home games than they have on a road. And the Knicks have also taken care of business at the Garden, which is key to this date. They're 14-5 and five at the Garden, but they're 2-8 and eight away from Madison Square Garden. So they have to do better as far as winning games on a road. And with that being said, the scheduling is going to turn for the opposite as the Knicks are going to play 18 of their next 24 games on the road. 
and they got to have a couple of big road stretches coming up, and they need to make sure that not only they take care of things at home, but they really have to start taking th care of things on the road more so than ever before, Mad Mike. Yeah, no, I mean, one young team, uh, young team struggled on the road. But another part of the problem, I think that, you know, it's just such an uneven schedule for them so far. You know, the Garden, you know, has prior commitments, you know, as we've seen boxing matches and we've seen, uh, you know, Christmas specials and, and all these other things. So the one thing for the Knicks, you know, as I think while they're playing and it's going to sound stupid to you or, or maybe our listeners, but I think as they play more consistent road games, um, yeah, they might be more tired. But I think the, the, the comfort zone that they have playing on the road. Um, I think that you'll you'll see them start to play better on the road. I think it's just been so, you know, the Knicks come home and they play two at home, three at home, and then one on the road, and then two at home, and then one on the road. Uh, so, yeah, one, they're losing those games, so it's highlighted. But, I, you know what I mean? Like, I think they'll build more camaraderie. I think they'll, they'll find a, a comfort zone. You know, it's something to be said for sleeping in your own bed, right? Well, as they sleep away from, from home, you know, I, I think you'll you'll see things change a little bit. People are worried. I, I'm not so worried. I'm probably worried about the first, uh, you know, the first week or so of the uh, of these games. But I think as time goes by, this team will get it together. Um, they're too talented, and, and you can see that they really like playing with each other. Um, I don't think the season the wheels are going to fall off on the road. Now, the crazy part about it is that not only did they beat OKC, but they beat them by 15 points. And again, that was oh, let me jump in. Let me jump in. Let me let me jump in real quick because I, I did want to mention that to you. Isn't it funny how different these two teams look from from the first game of the season? Yeah, listen, one thousand percent. And also to piggyback off of that, man, Mike Carmelo Anthony is shooting at a. I think he has a second. He's shooting like forty one percent from the field. Paul George, thirty nine. Thirty nine. He's not even. I think after yesterday. Uh, I saw uh, uh, after Saturday night, um, he dipped under forty. I wanted. I want to tell you, I, I was reading that last night. That after Saturday night, okay. Uh, and I know that's. I know that's. I think it's one of the worst field goal percentages in the NBA, or something like that. They were saying, and then also Paul George is shooting his lowest field goal percentage in Westbrook is shooting his lowest field goal percentage as well. You know, so all three of those guys are not really playing well. And like you said, OKC is a mess right now. They're really a mess. Now also, Matt Mike, also, with that 15-point vic victory, the Knicks, are, like I said before, they won four straight games. And they're also in a four-way tie, Matt Mike, for the fourth-best record in the Eastern Conference. How about yes, that? Are. Now, your boy is taking a mud pie in the face right now. No, 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 don't, don't, no, it's still early. And, and I know, but it, I mean, at this early. point, I projected, you You projected the Knicks to get around 30 to 35 wins, I believe. Somewhere yes. around there. I projected this team to win 20 to 25 games, Matt Mike. And right now, this team has 16 wins, and we're not even at the All-Star break. And if the Knicks somehow could win upwards of 35 to 40 games, or 40 or more games, I really think that that's good enough to get this team into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And I can see the Knicks as being one of those teams that 
one of the, you know, one of the top seeded teams really ain't gonna want to mess around with and play in that first round. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I'll say this: if this team gets into the playoffs um, as anything other than an eight seed or seven seed, because we 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 both agree, Cleveland and Boston, Boston and Cleveland, some form of that combination will be one two. Um, I don't think the Knicks will scare those two teams, but. If they can get themselves into the sixth seed or, 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 you know, anywhere between three and six, I think the Knicks can give any of those teams a problem from, from, you know, Washington to, you know, anybody. I mean, if you think about it, right? Washington, uh, Charlotte, I think fell off. That, that's the thing about the East. All the, all the teams you thought were going to be good are, are pretty bad right now. So we have Milwaukee in there. The, the Knicks can play with any of those guys. Now, the funny thing is, even Carmelo Anthony acknowledged that this season Knicks team has it going in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that his team, when he was, you know, in his final few seasons in New York, didn't. And he was quoted as saying, Carmelo Anthony was quoted as saying, for me, just to see those guys having fun again, knowing that it wasn't fun, the fun was lost over the past couple of seasons, to see those guys having fun again, bringing that energy back, Bringing that love back to the game, back to the garden, is something that I'm happy for those guys when it comes to that. So, now, you know, yeah, man, Mike, I'm sorry. I was going to say, now, he says that, but do we believe him? And the reason, this is what I was telling you, I, I never once believed Carmelo Anthony when he said that, you, you know, this is where I want to be. I, I just think that, I think he wanted out, but he didn't want them to start winning without him because then you can start pointing to certain things, like I'm going to tell you. With him last year, they were 23rd in the league in points per game. This year, they're 13th, or I mean, in opponents' points per game. This year, they're 13th in opponents' points per game. That means this year, they're playing better defense. Uh, you remove him, and, and or, you know, you could see his lack of effort on defense at times, right? Last year, they were 19th in assists per game. This year, they're 9th in assists per game, which means they're sharing the ball on offense, which you touched on earlier in the show, right? This was a full team effort, six guys in double digits. They shot the ball over 50%, which means it doesn't really matter who's shooting it as long as the open man is taking the shot. Nobody's forcing the ball. And last year with Carmelo Anthony, they were third in isolation plays per game. This year, they're 14th, which means this year they're relying much, much less on one-on-one -on -one basketball opposed to last year. And... and I, I, I know that the fans cheered him, gave him a standing O. I, we all do appreciate him because he's the one guy that wanted to be a Nick outside of Amari Stoudemire, and, and we do have to appreciate him for that. But we can't ignore the fact that he did hold this team. You know, he held this team back. You know what? And the funny thing is, you know, I've been a big Mellow supporter, and we've had our, you know, disagreements as far as me want Mellow to stay and you saying, well, the best thing for the Knicks – it's for Carmelo Anthony to leave. And it's apparent that the best thing for the Knicks was for Carmelo Anthony to leave. And it's yeah, showing right now. I don't, think you, I don't think you were standing behind Melo, the ball player, as much as you were standing behind Melo against Phil Jackson. And, and I'll let you continue now. But that my feeling of, of you, your support for him was more about, you know, what the hell is Phil doing? Right, yeah, I mean, you know, you just, I always felt that you just don't treat, you know, mistreat somebody like that. And you had a superstar, a superstar that wanted to stay. And Phil, you know, and Phil Jackson kind of ran him out of town. 
And, you know, with that being said, you know, that was probably Carmelo's Anthony way out of town, you know, as you say. So, you know, one thing I also want to bring up, Mad Mike, and somebody that I've been very critical of is the New York Knicks point guard, Frank Nitalikina, who is steadily building his case alongside, you know, some of the car, you know, some of the point guards that come out of this year's class. And I've been very, very critical of this young man. And this young man is steadily getting better, Matt Mike. Yeah, no. Um I I think I, I don't think you can argue it. Um anybody that, that has been paying attention to the Knicks, uh, uh the stat line has been getting better, but it's not all in the stat line. Um the night against the Lakers, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball went crazy. You know, on Jared Jack. I mean, Jared Jack could not handle him. Jared Jack can't handle any point guard uh, on defense. It's just, it's, it's, it's apparent. Um, and, you know, Hornacek wasted no time. And he went straight to, to Frank. As a matter of fact, Baker, you know, the guy we love to hate, um, he, him and, and Frank played the entire fourth quarter against the Lakers and, and shut, shut things down. And... You know, Hornacek said that that's what we're going to see a lot more of. You know, if he needs if he needs to start stopping guards, he's not going to waste any time. Those two two guys are coming in the game, so it's 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 turning for the better. But as far as Frank is going, you could see the game. Now, the funny thing is, is you know the unlikely dream because you know again, I was shattering the dream. But watching the Knicks helmed by high old, high IQ, because he is a high IQ point guard, and he's a two-way guard, you know, but after 25 games, especially with the performances he had against the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, Matt Mike, Frank Nilakina is really putting hopes into me. I'm going to consider myself a dope, but he's putting hope into, you know, people like myself, and I'm not the only... New Yorker that didn't want this, you know, that really didn't have high hopes for this kid, you know, but he's given, you know, he's giving us the okie doke right now. Now, drafting, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Now, drafting Little Aquina was Phil Jackson's last move as a Nick president. And five of the first nine picks in that draft were point guards. With so many teams in that draft looking to fill the same need, comparisons, Particularly of the premature overstate variety, you know, a one, you know, a thing. But in addition to choosing Frank Nitalikino over Dennis Smith Jr., whose strengths are visible and simpler spectrums, Matt Mike, which you've touched on, you know, more so than anything, you know, more so than Frank's. But the Knicks also passed on Malik Monk, who was the highest rated um, two guard available. Now, a third of the way through the season, Matt Mike. What we've learned about Nidalekina, um, what's cause for celebration, for concern? You know, how will Nick fans look back on June 22nd, you know, with the draft? You know, so, you know, let's look at Lonzo Ball. Let's look at Smith. Let's look at De'Aaron Fox, you know, and, and Frank Nidalekina. And, you know, we want to compare the opportunities and the outcomes, you know, and, and, and counting for each, each, of, each of those guys' uniqueness. You know, in each situation, but Frank Nitalikina at this point, you know, he ranks seventh. He ranks seventh amongst all the guards. You know, so that's that's a good look, man. That's a good look for him, and that's a good look for the New York Knicks. 
Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Here's how I look at it. Um, this is how I always looked at the draft. Uh, you know, the Knicks, we, we knew the Knicks already had Courtney Lee, um, who's having a career year, and he, he's slated as their two guard. Uh, we then, after the draft, found out that their target, you know, was Tim Hardaway Jr., who, who's playing three for them, but is probably more of a two guard, right? So I don't fault them for, for Malik Monk. Um, obviously, they weren't looking at two guard in the draft, uh, right or wrong. Uh, if you look at Malik Monk's numbers, they actually look exactly how I thought they would. The guy was going to come in. He was going to shoot at a high volume, shoot at a low percentage. He's shooting at, at you know, slightly under 40% last I checked. He's averaging one rebound and one assist a game. So he, he came in and, and he did exactly what I thought he was going to do. And when you do that at the shooting guard position, you play less minutes. And that's what's been happening to him of late. He's just not getting the minutes anymore because that's under under value at, at, at the two-guard position in the NBA. So then, like you mentioned, we're looking at Lonzo Ball. We're looking at um, De'Aaron Fox. We're looking at Dennis Smith Jr. Um, if I missed any other point guards, uh, you know, call me out on it. But... None, none of those guys can shoot the ball, right? Dennis Smith Jr. can't shoot right now. Um, he's a high-volume scorer. He's Dennis Smith Jr. is Carmelo Anthony. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to score 14 points a game, but I'm going to take 12, 13 shots to get there. That's bad business in basketball. If you take 12 shots, you get two points per shot. If you're averaging 14 points and you're taking 12 shots a game, 13 shots a game, you got to be averaging more than 14, my opinion. You know, and then I look at where where else is he? Uh, for a guy that's playing thirty minutes a game at point guard, he's averaging uh, four assists a game. That's not good. That we we could say, hey, maybe that's why this team has no continuity in Dallas on offense. You know, it's, it, we could blame Dirk getting old, but we could also look there. Um, I'm looking at De'Aaron Fox, who who isn't even starting. It's pretty pretty unfair to him, but. You know, his shot isn't there either. He's shooting under 40%. And we, we know about Lonzo Ball's, you know, broken broken jump shot. I mean, where if he can't get to the hoop, and when I say can't get to the hoop, if he can't get to the hoop going right, he's not going to score anything. He can't go left, as Charles Barkley has highlighted numerous times, because of his shooting motion. He has the same shooter, He has the same motion on his layups. So it makes it easier to contest him and makes his, his shots a lot harder. You know, he's shooting under 50% driving to his left. What point guard shoots under 50% going to, to the basket from any side? That's that's well below average. So when I when I look at all these guys and I look at the Knicks drafting Frank, the one thing I'm saying is I got a 19-year-old who already plays defense on an elite level, and I am now can teach him how to play offense the way I want him to play offense. His shot isn't any worse than anybody else's shot. Yeah, everybody wants to tell us he can't play offense, but it's no worse than any of these other guys. I just gave you the numbers. Right. Now, I just want to add, Matt, Mike, that Frank Nittalikina, as you mentioned, is the second youngest player in the NBA, and his experience is significantly less than the other guards because the other guards, you know, they play college ball, and they average and play so much more minutes than Frank Nittalikina. You know, but he, he's... You know, he's averaging about 20 minutes a night. And even then, Frank Nittalikina is still a quarter season short of the minutes that De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith Jr. are right now, and half the season behind Ball and, and uh, Malik Monk, who's played over 100 fewer, and, and 
you know, who's played over 100 fewer minutes than Frank this year. You know, it's, it, it's still, it's amazing how much those guys are so many minutes ahead of Frank Nittalakina. And Frank Nittalakina, he's turning the ball over a little bit more, you know, but he's also, he's also, um, I just want to throw a stat that he's 24.1 uh, points created for the New York Knicks while he's on the court. Now, mind you, that's only, you know, a few points behind De'Aaron Fox, who's at 26.3. And Lonzo Ball, who's at 27.4. Now, Dennis Smith Jr. is at 31.6. But I say that to say that all three of those guys ha are playing significantly more minutes than Frank Nidalekina is at this particular point in time. Yeah, minutes, minutes count, man. You got to take minutes into consideration. You can't just look at the numbers and say Frank's numbers are down. You got to show me what Frank's numbers will look like if he had the 10, 11 more minutes a game that the other guys have. That's a full quarter of basketball that he's not playing, that these guys are playing. No, you're at, Listen, you're absolutely right. And, you know, again, you know, this, this, this kid has a potential, um, which they said he had the potential to be a really good two-way guard, you know, solid, really solid on the defensive end of the ball, smart IQ with getting his players involved in the game, which I've seen. I've seen his, you know, I've seen the ability of him to defend. And a jump shot, you know, you can always work on your sh jump shot to get better. But one thing you know is being an athlete, and one thing I know is being an athlete, is that you can't teach instincts. And this young no. man has instincts. Listen, if, if, if this guy reaches his ceiling, he can be a better version of Rajon Rondo. In what world is that not worth the eighth pick in the draft? Never mind who else got drafted. Never mind Bill Jackson drafting him. Never mind all, all the surrounding stuff. If you look at team, player, team drafting at eight takes this player. In, in, in the best world scenario, this player becomes a better version of of a guy that, you know, Rajon Rondo, who... who Led the league, who was routinely at amongst the top in assists, who was routinely amongst the top um, players in steals per game, uh, world champion, uh, always held people accountable. Whether you liked his attitude or not, he didn't let anybody skate. You know, whether your name was Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, Paul. So he was a general, on and off the court. He handled himself. He was the he was the mini Kevin Garnett. That's exactly who he was. And it's funny because Kevin Garnett was his mentor. That's the only question I have here. Who's mentoring, you know, Frank? Who's building that street, you know, that nasty street that, that you know, who, who's saying this is how to be a floor general? This is how to demand the best and hold everybody accountable. Outside of that, I got no questions. I, I, I love everything I've seen. Yeah, I, look, he's on the up and up. And before we take a quick commercial break, I also want to add that the New York, the, the Brooklyn Nets traded for uh, Jaleel Okafor, you know, by trading away Trevor Booker. And I actually think that's a good move for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, with if, with Jaleel Okafor and Giangelo Russell, you know, when he comes back, you know, and then you still have Jeremy Lin. So that's a good look for the Nets. But I watched the game. Where the Knicks defeated the Nets and Jaleel Okafor didn't get off the he didn't get off the bench, but he played a few nights before against the Washington Wizards. So I don't get what's going on with that. I don't know if he's in game shape. 
you know, because obviously he hasn't really um played that much because Philly had him on a back burner, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, if, uh, I will hope he's not in the doghouse already, Matt Mike, but I think no, that was no, a good he, move for the man. Nets. He, he, played, he played in the next night. Um, for for them on Friday, the game after. I, I, I think that we, we have to understand, like you you touched on it, um, I think that they want to bring them back a little slower. Uh, they were good, they were playing the first night against the Knicks, the first night of back-to-back. So maybe they didn't want to, you know, rush them back, you know, three games and four nights. Um, I think they were just being smart with them. We are talking about a guy that's been in the doghouse with Philadelphia, you know, for the better part of the last two years. Um, I, I, as far as the trade goes, I think that this, you know, is, is a slam dunk for them with that. And with Nick Stauskas, Stauskas and, um, you know, getting him, I, I just, I don't know how anybody can knock the Nets. The Nets have lost all these draft picks over the years and what they did in the, at, at, you know, last year's draft and now, uh, picking up Russell and Okafor, we're talking about two, two guys picked in what the top three. In the same draft, uh, uh, picked second and third. So they they basically taken all those picks they've lost and got got it back with these two guys. You know, you throw in Crab, you you throw in Dinwiddie, you throw in Lynn. Um, you, you know, they they've made some moves. They they have talent. Uh, I'm not going to say that they have top notch talent, but they're on their way, man. Um, I, I think they got 11 wins so far in the season, maybe 12. Um. I like it. I like what they're doing. They're, they're definitely being run a lot better. Now, ironically, I actually made a bet with a coworker that the uh, the Knicks would finish up with a better record than the Brooklyn Nets, and a loser would have to buy the other ones a jersey, a other person a jersey. So it looks like, um, you know, again, not the Jason, but it looks like I'm well on my way to earning myself a Knicks jersey with that dumb logo. On the upper right hand corner of the screen, which I hate so I mean, on the on the um jersey which I hate so much. Oh that that logo drives me nuts. What is that? The Squarespace? Oh logo? my gosh. Yeah, that that I mean it could could it be even da- any damn bigger than what it is right now? You know what I'm saying? The thing is ridiculously large, man, but you know, it is what it is. The Knicks are playing really good basketball. You gotta give credit where credit is due. And the Knicks are making some moves to improve themselves. I got my good friend and little brother Langston Galloway from the Detroit Pistons calling in. Langston, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? What's going on, big bro? How's everything been? I'm all right, man. Hanging in there, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to call in for this final show for the year. So I really appreciate that. Just want to ask you a couple of questions for our listeners, you know, because obviously we always want to get to know the Langston Galloway, and you've been so gracious enough to call in and help the show out. So if that's okay with you, I'd like to get started, brother. Oh, for sure, for sure. Let's get it going. All right, now. So, you know, how has it been for you getting acclimated to your new teammates in your new uh, city uh, with the Detroit Pistons? It's been really good. Uh, just just taking it one game at a time and uh, just just uh, learning um, – the, the the different atmosphere of being out here in Detroit compared to the last couple of cities I've been in. So, uh, like I said, just taking it one day at a time and uh, just enjoying the grind every, every single day. Now, you know, New York, you played in New York, and New York is yep. a cold city. So I'm kind of used to, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you got to be used to it because Detroit is no better. But, you know, I follow you on social media, and I've seen you put up videos of you, you know, snow falling and everything. Man, I would lose my mind out there going through all that. It seems like it's a little bit worse than New York. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's worse in New York when it comes to uh, the snow coming down. And uh, the other day it was crazy because we had about 10 inches or more come down. And I'm like, man, I'm, I actually had to ride through it because I was trying to get somewhere. And I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. Because in New York, I mean, it come down, but it, I mean, it don't be, it'll come down for a little bit, take a break, then come down. You know what I mean? It's not like the same like here. It just comes down and then you just like, you're stuck in it. Now, New York has really great fans. And, you know, watching, you know, I've been a big basketball fan for so many years, and I know Detroit has a really strong fan base. Right. Are, are there similarities between both fan bases or are there differences, you know, the passion between both fan bases? Can you just explain that a little bit to the listeners? Yeah, I think it's a lot of history in both organizations. And uh, I think that uh, the, the more and more uh, we continue to get back on track and continue to win, I think that uh, the, the fans will start coming out more and more to the games and uh, continue to support. I think they're always uh, following, but they, they might not always come to the games, uh, especially out here. And uh, and we've, we've been, uh, been up and down this year, but... I think uh, as we continue to uh, start rolling, I think uh, more and more fans will come out and, and you'll, you'll see a good crowd at pretty much all the games. Now, you guys, you know, obviously Detroit has had, you know, some tough goings the last, you know, the last couple of seasons. And you're on board and you got a really big, a good big man, Andre Drummond, and some really good players and Tobias Harris and Reggie Jackson and Ed Smith. And, you, you know, throwing you into the mix. So you guys got off to a really strong start at the beginning of the season, and you've hit a little bit of a rough patch. You know, the last couple of um, games, you know, you got to win, a big win the other night. You know, it kind of fell out of the standings. What do you feel that you guys need to do to get things back on track? No, I think we just got to continue to stay stay even kill. I mean, uh, in, in this league, you, you have uh, so many ups and downs, and uh, it's crazy because I, I think we have, like, the second toughest schedule in the whole entire NBA, so it doesn't matter what. Uh, I feel like anybody can throw at us uh, going forward. I think we're going to be able to be a really uh, contender or a really big contender going down the stretch because, uh, I mean, these first, uh, what, about 20-some games, uh, I mean, we've played the toughest games uh, out in Golden State, out at Boston, and then now they're coming back to us. And uh, through the stretch, we've had like the six or seven toughest teams come to our house, and we've played them on the road as well. And it's, it's been a tough stretch, but uh, – I think we're just going to continue to, to stay even kill and we'll be just fine. Right now, you know, you're really known for being a great defensive player and you have a great offensive game to go along with that as well. And you've played against, you know, the NBA, you know, it's, it's, we have, you know, it's known for having the best players in the world. So with that being said, and you playing against so many different types of players, tell the listeners who's your toughest player to defend and why that player, you know, gives you a little bit of a, a fit when you're trying to defend them? Uh, I mean, they, like, like you said, it's, it's a lot of different uh, players I've played against in this league, and uh, it's a lot of tough guys uh, that, that have different moves that, that try to get past guys and blow past different guys. And uh, to, to me, in my opinion, um, probably one of the toughest guys in in my opinion, is probably Russell Westbrook just just because of the, uh, his his quickness and uh, and being able to uh, just I mean hey you, he can take the ball from one end to the other and and uh, I mean almost three or four dribbles so it's it's, it's kind of tough to, to defend him when he his hesitation package and, and trying to uh, uh, settle for three so it's 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 always a tough matchup when I face against him. Yeah, listen, I was watching a game where they played against Philly the other night and he had this dunk man I was like wow. 
You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So Russell was a little bit, you know, Russell was a beast for sure. And you played for some really good coaches. And in my opinion, you played for some so-so coaches. And that's just my opinion. Not saying that that's yeah. your opinion. Um, how has it been playing for Stan Van Gundy thus far? It's been really good, really good. I'm, uh, I have learned a lot just being able to uh, uh, take the bits and pieces that he's uh, been able to to show each and every every one of the guys on the team, and uh, and um, and just pushing us, pushing us to, to get better each and every day. And uh, it really is 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 no lack of, uh, I guess you say, getting better. Uh, from from this team, everybody on our team wants to get better, and I think that he just pushes everybody to a whole other level, and he knows that we can be great. So uh, I think that it, it really helps us uh, going forward. Now you know in sports, and I'm an athlete as well. You know you have game preparations and film study and things of that nature, and I you know I would like to think that basketball is no different than football, where you have film studies. Now, when you when when you guys are getting prepped for a team, because obviously with the NBA you can play back to backs, you yep. know you can play X amount of games, you know in a, in a week. Is there film preparation for players or teams that you're going up against, or is it because you play against those guys? You tight, you have you know their tendencies and things like that. No, no, that's always going to be preparation. Uh, you can't ever go into a game thinking, all right, I, I know exactly what's going to happen. And, and, uh, and you just pinpoint, all right, we're just going to remember what we did last game. We're going to do that. It's always uh, the coaching staff and whatever assistant coach has that game. We're always going over film, always uh, just watching w- what plays they, they've been running. And then, uh, and then who's hot? You have to really know who's, who's uh, hot right now, who's off right now. Because um, I mean, hey, any any given moment in this league, you can get opportunity, and uh, and a different guy might step up and and, and really have a breakout year. So uh, I think every game is different, and uh, you you have to take it like that. You have to be able to mentally lock in and say, all right, I'm a lock in on my defense, my my guy, whoever I'm guarding against, and then say, all right, well, once it's up and the new guy, uh, hey, what does he do that that might be different from the starter? So it's, it's always like. Um, the little adjustments you have to make in literally second by second in the league. Right. So now I follow you on social media and, you know, I see you post a lot of things of you and your teammates doing things together. Now, you know, and and I I get a kick out of it and I think that's great. Now, how important is it for you guys to do things like that to build team? In in college, um, we had a lot of that uh, my senior year. And um, I mean, just hanging out being able to uh, hang out at each other's crib, being able to go bowling, um, just I mean, going just do a, a lot of different things, and uh, and when you when you're able to to come together and and, and form that brotherhood, it's it's huge, and it, and it makes uh, everybody on the team just feel comfortable off the court, and then when you're on the court, I mean, it, it I mean it does wonders, and uh, I think that. Uh, we continue to do that throughout the season. I think we'll be we'll be just fine. Now, how do you know? Speaking of that, how does that team camaraderie help you guys on the basketball court? Because because it's important, like you said, to build the relationship off the court. How does that help on the court? No, because you you you, uh, you take it from the aspect of uh, knowing that all right, this this guy respects me. He understands where I'm coming from. I can say I not saying you can't say whatever to a guy, but you can. Uh, you could take the the good with the bad. So a guy might um, he might try to check you or try to um, 
try to give you a spark. Always uh, trying to like uh, tell you something to, to 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 get better from, or something you might be messing up on. That you you take that with uh, with criticism. You take the criticism and uh, and then you move forward and say, all right. He's just trying to help me and get better in this situation. So uh, I think that that really helps that that out, and then you you can form a lot of leaders that way. Right, and that and that's great. And and now you know you're in Aloma St. Joe's, and again because I follow you on social media, you're always you know showing your support for those guys and things like yep. that. And you have some other guys that's in the league. I think Bembray or Bembry. I'm not you know forgive me. Yeah, Bembry. Yep. Bembry and, and Jameer, uh, right? Nelson. Yep. Yep. So I think that's awesome that you guys have been able, you know, to make it from, from the school into the league. How does that affect, you know, players that are currently on the team for them to see you guys be successful and make it into the NBA and for you guys to go back, you know, and show your support for those guys that are currently playing? Oh, it's huge. It's huge because there's so many guys that uh, have been through the program and um, and just be just to be able to to play for a coach like Phil Martelli and and the assistant coaches. I mean, it it's, it does wonders for guys' careers. And I think that uh, uh, as St. Joe's continues to progress, and I mean, I have ups ups and down years, but uh, the players that come back uh, come into the, the program, we always want to come back and show our face and uh, and just be that that little light and that uh, that little spark for them. Any, any, anything they can use to to say, all right, I got to be motivated to work like him or do whatever he does. You know what I mean? To, to to try to make it to that next level, which is, I mean, everybody's dream that that gets to play this game. Now, you know, I, I you play with the Knicks, um, you know, and as a friend, I miss you being in New York, and I'm sure fans miss you being in New York. And the Knicks <clears throat> are actually having a pretty decent season thus far because yep. you have ties, you know, to the Knicks. You know, and is that at any point do you follow those guys during the season, you know, to keep an eye out to see how they're doing and kind of like, you know, do you is, do a part of your heart actually roots for them outside of playing against you guys? To, to be honest, uh, it's, it's been really tough. Uh, my first year out of New York, which was last year, I was really like, all right, I'm going to check those guys. I'll see who's still doing well. My, 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 all my guys are still there. Um, but but being my second room second year removed from the team, uh, I haven't really had a chance to check them out this year. And uh, um, but I, I do keep in contact with a couple guys on staff uh, that I'm real cool with, and uh, and it's always good when I, when I especially when we either play New York in New York or play um, out here. So uh, it's always good just to hear those guys and then get a chance to talk to them and uh, and catch up. Right now, I see you have some things going on outside of basketball, which is great. Um, you have your, your own sneaker thing, your, your uh, LG nines. Yeah, LG kicks nines. Yeah. LG kick nines. So tell tell us about that and how listeners could get involved with that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I got a couple a couple different uh, social media things going on right now. You got uh, on my Instagram right now, LG kicks nine. Uh, it's blowing up right now. I got a lot of heat on, on my page, uh, and uh, just just trying to show show the. the I guess you say the world, uh, a little bit about uh, my background and just, just some hobby that I, I picked up over the years. And then also, uh, it's, it's more for uh, giving back and being able to just show the fans a lot of support and, uh, and love that they've shown for me, uh, which, is, which is crucial. And then, um, and then I just started my YouTube channel. Uh, it'd be LG Kicks TV. Uh, so I'll be doing a lot of different like uh, giveaways, uh, a lot of different um, just sneaker events that I go to go to throughout the year. Uh, so it, it, it'll be cool. I mean, I think that 
uh, people should really tune into that and uh, and, and just look, be on the lookout for it because, uh, uh, hey, maybe you have a chance to win. So, hey, check it out. Listen, I'll tell you this much. I'm, I'm a friend of his, so I know how big – Langston is into his sneaker game, so I, I'm on board for that. I've seen some of the sneakers that yeah, he put and, up, and those them joints are fire, man. I tell you, yeah, I'm yeah, like, you look, know, I'm like, yo, look, I need a pair of those ASAP. Right, right, right. And look, and look, be on the lookout for my my kicks. I just got my own brand, uh, Q4, uh, Q4 Sports. Uh, got my own shoe coming out right now. Uh, right now, I just got my promos. They just came in, the LG, LG Nines, and uh, they'll be my first edition of my kicks. And uh, hopefully, when they when they uh, they drop on the page, uh, hopefully everybody go out there and buy them. So Listen, cool. I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm already online on page line. You know what I'm saying? If there's <laughs> such a thing, you know what I'm saying? I'm already lined up to get those because, like I said, what I've seen, you know, from what you've been, you know, showing and everything, man, just straight fire. And not only that, you know what I'm saying, being a friend, you know, I'm, you know, I'm always going to support you in your endeavors, and I want nothing but the best for you. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy and proud for you, brother. Hey, I appreciate that, big bro. I appreciate that, man. It's a blessing to always say, have my family and all my friends support me, man. So uh, I just, hey, I just give all the glory, to God. That's all. All right, awesome, man. And with that being said, I'm not going to keep you any longer, Langston, man. I just wanted to thank you so much for calling in and showing your support to the show and to me, man. I really appreciate it. As always, big bro. As right, always. Man. So hopefully, I can get you back on the show. Uh, sometime next year, you know, because this is the last show of this year. So hopefully I can get you on the show next year, you know, and so you so we can catch up and see what's going on with you and things like that as well. Oh, hey, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, awesome. Appreciate it. Guys, don't forget, write that information down. Go on, follow, and buy those kicks because they are fire. Langston, thanks a lot, brother. I really appreciate you, man. Happy holidays. Be safe and God bless. Hey, happy holidays, bro. All right, man. Take care. All right, peace. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and come back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker, the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Make sure you check out LloydAThompson.com and follow him everywhere. That's Instagram, Twitter, at Lloyd A. Thompson. That's it. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. I have another special guest calling in today, listeners. He's my good friend Trey Gilda, another professional basketball player that has seen time in the NBA, and now he's currently playing overseas. Hey, Trey, what's going on, brother? Thank you for joining the show. How you feeling? I'm here, man. I'm all right, hanging in there. So you played college basketball at McNeese State, and uh, you played at a junior college in Northwestern State. Did you get drafted um, out of college into the NBA? No, I went to uh, no. I was uh, went to the D League my first year. I got drafted to the D League, and, and then got, okay, I'm sorry. And you got drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies. No, I got drafted by a Colorado team in the D League. That's no longer there. And then after that, uh, they signed the Memphis Grizzlies signed me as a free agent. And now, how was that experience with the Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, Memphis experience was great. It was a lot of, you know, learning experience. I had a lot of older players like that uh, that I got to play with that I always looked up to, like Allen Iverson, you know, Zach Randolph, Rudy Gay. 
Uh, so it, it was a great experience. Yeah, that must have been awesome. How was it with those guys? It was great, you know. I learned a lot from them. They taught me some things, you know, practice habits, daily things to do. It was just, it was fun. Good experience. Now you've played. You you've had a successful career playing overseas, uh, in the Venezuelan league. Um, how fun has that been for you? Uh, Venezuela has been been great. You know, uh, it's uh, a lot of people think you know it's scary and stuff. To, but um, I had a lot of fun there and playing has been a great experience. They always treated me like like family. It's been great. You know, uh, the league is tough. It's hard. It's a lot of NBA players and things that come through that league. So it's been a great experience. Now, you recently played in the Dominican Republic, and uh, I was looking up something on social media where they say you, you know, where you've uh, won the Player of the Week award several times, and you actually had one game where you dropped 45 points and went five for five from the three point line, and uh, you actually won a championship over there. Um, how's the fan base over there in DR? The fan base is, is, is great, you know. Uh, the team I was on, the particular team that I was on, like, treated me like a family since the day I was there. And, you know, they 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 showed me, you know, a lot of love. And the fans showed a lot of love. And, and it was a great, very great. Now, you also play uh, for the Westchester Knicks. Um, how does that go about? Did your agent set you up with the Westchester Knicks? And how was your time uh, with the Westchester Knicks? Yeah, it was something my agent had a worse to deal because I decided to play in the D-League. I was sitting at home, and I was going between going overseas and giving a shot to the NBA. And uh, my agent worked out a deal. To, I can go to Westchester. Westchester, it was, uh, it was another learning experience because all the things didn't go the way I thought they would go with, uh, like, you know, the coaching situation and different things. But, you know, you learn a lot about yourself in those type of times. and. But but besides that, the organization itself was pretty good. It was great. It was like the best uh, organization I've been with in the D League as far as living and as far as how they treat you and practice and all those things. All right, now so what does your what does your off season workout consist of? You know, we're good friends and we talk quite a bit. And uh, you know, you've explained to me pretty much what your off season is. But I just want you to explain to my listeners what your off season workout consists of to get yourself but you know to get yourself prepared your mind right your body right for an upcoming season okay yeah my in my own seasons i usually i go three or four times a day i try to get up early and i work out with a trainer early uh like weights and then um after that workout i go to do like uh, shooting or something with a trainer like on court stuff and then after that, you know, I, I like maybe get a lunch, and in the afternoon I go back and do some things on my own. If, if that's as far as cardio or some more shooting with the gun, I just like in the all season I go hard. You know, I try to try to work out a lot every day. Now I know you're a hard worker and you're dedicated to your craft, and it's paid off for you. Now you play in the Venezuelan league and also in the uh, you know for the DR league now. Both of those seasons don't interfere with each other. So is it that you play in the Venezuelan league, and then when that's over, you play in the DR league? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, they don't interfere. So when one is over, the other one's kind of starting, and you know they they talk to my agent and try to bring me over. Now, what are your plans for this upcoming season? Are you going to play again for the winners? You know, Venezuelan league or the contracts year to year, or do you sign multi-year deals? How does that work? 
uh, with, I mean, with with those types of teams as compared to NBA teams? I mean, those types of teams, you can sign multi-year contracts, but sometimes it's better to keep it open Like because if you have a great year, you're going to have to get paid more the next year. So um, right now, I'm still trying to determine because I just uh, got back from the Dominican Republic, so I'm just trying to determine where I want to go next and let my agent decide, uh, and then we come to uh, you know understanding of which one's better or a better fit for me. Okay, now which which one did you enjoy? Which one um, do you think might be a better fit for you for your style of play? Because I'm assuming the style of play is different from you know the DR to the Venezuelan league. Uh, you know which one suits your style, and which one would you say is a bit more competitive, or are they both the same? I feel like they're both the same because it's South America, so it's going to be both the same. It's, it's it's a little different in Europe. It's a little more physical, so it's going to be. Yeah, it's both the same. It's both basically the same. It's, it's a lot of physicality in the game and stuff, but and but I'm able to excel in both of those pretty well. Now I would say you're pretty much, um, you know, a, a big man. You're what are you six eight six nine? Yeah, six nine. And for you, you know, I've seen you play before while you was with the Westchester Knicks, and you know, you you have the you know the ball handling skills of a point guard, but you have the size, you know, of a bigger guy. So I'm you know I'm assuming that you give. A lot of players matchup problems with your side and speed and your ability to shoot the ball and dribble and create shots and also drive to the basket and, and you know and, and dunk the ball. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a lot of mismatches because I play like the two and the three mostly, but I'm taller, so it's hard for like a a smaller guard to guard me that I can post him up or you know still be able to go by him. So yeah, I have a lot of mismatch problems, but you know that's all you work on things, so you be able to do things that you know people wouldn't expect you to do. Now, now, I also know quite a you know a few other guys that you've played with you know in the NBA uh, D League and stuff. Are any of those guys, do you get to play against any of those guys or with any of those guys in the leagues that you're in? Um, I played against a few like ex NBA players and things over there. Uh, yeah, I played against a few. I haven't really played with any of them, but I played against them from time to time. Like this year, I played against uh, Nate Robinson was on the opposite team that we where we had a rivalry against. So I got to play against him and a few other ex-NBA players from time to time. Now, before I let you go, I got one last question that I want to ask you. Now, I want to ask you, what's the biggest difference between playing ball in the NBA and playing ball overseas? Now, you know, the NBA, obviously, you know, it's the best league in the world. And, you know, it, quote, unquote, has the best players in the world. And, you know, a lot of players that play in the NBA or that have played in the NBA, they continue their career overseas. So I'm pretty sure that's quite competitive as well. But in your experience, what's the difference between the NBA and playing overseas? Is there a big difference or what? I mean, a few differences that, like, as for, uh the competition level in the NBA obviously is the best. So, without saying that, obviously it would be like as not, you know, um, you traveling so much overseas is different in America. You know, you can always see your family, you close to everybody, used to everything. When you're overseas, like just you by yourself, you know, it's different cultures, and that takes a lot of getting used to sometimes. And and then it's just. Um, Overseas, of course, you practice two a days, and you know, in the NBA, it's just once, you know, and they have a lot, and they have a lot more games in the NBA. Right now, with your success overseas, uh, overseas, um, would that be a place where you would be more comfortable being at, or if you got another opportunity to play in the NBA, would you jump on that opportunity uh, to play in the NBA? 
Yeah, I would jump on the opportunity, of course. You know, that's that's the dream to always want to play at home, you know, have your mom and your family be able to see you in person as far as traveling overseas is a little harder for that. But definitely I would want to play in the NBA because, you know, you get more exposure and get on TV and just different things, and that's just the dream. Well, you know, I'm 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 your boy and I'm a big fan and I'm always pulling for you. You know, like I said, I know you work hard and I'm very happy for the success that you've had playing ball overseas. And um, you know, I just want to thank you for calling in and taking a couple of questions and answering the questions for our listeners. So I really appreciate you doing that for me, uh, little brother. Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully I can get you on this show again, um, you know, in the new year. And uh, until then, man, best of luck for you. Uh, and keep me posting and have a happy holiday, brother. All right, you too. Thanks, bro. Merry Christmas and have a holiday to you, too. All right, man. Take care, brother. All right. Now, the Yankees are still making some moves, Mad Mike, as general manager Brian Cashman has made this team more powerful heading into the 2018 season. Now, with trades for two starting pitchers on the horizon, he looks to make this team an absolute monster, Mad Mike. And I know you was mentioning that the Yankees re-signed CC Sabathia. So you just want to fill the listeners in on that deal with CC Sabathia. And if you think that's a good move for the Yankees to make, because I know there was rumblings that the Anaheim Angels was in competition for his services, but I guess in the end, he wanted to remain in New York. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, CC said it. Um, first off, he agreed to a one-year deal with the Yankees for about $10 million, which is $2 million more than what most people uh, expected. Everybody was saying that the Yankees were trying to get him for about $8 million. Um, I always thought that that was a low-ball offer. I thought that the Yankees would probably give him half of what he, he was making, uh, you know, agree to something like a one-year $12 million deal. I thought that was uh, pretty fair. Uh, but anyway, in the end of the day, he professed his love for the New York Yankees. He said that he has unfinished business here. Um, he, his job is to bring one more championship um, back to New York. And he agreed to a one-year $10 million deal. Um, so we got that done, and, and that's good news for us. Now, I think that's a solid pickup because, you know, CC Sabathia was once a pitcher that threw in the mid to upper 90s, you know, 90, 97, you know, 98 miles an hour. And, you know, like anything else, as you get older, things change and, you know, you can't pitch the way you, you know, you once did. And he's finally learned how to pitch with his velocity being down and ended up being one of the Yankees' better pitches towards the end of the season and in the playoffs when the Yankees made that run, Mad Mike. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I'm, 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 I feel differently about him. Uh, I think that the Yankees owed it to him. I know that he lost velocity. I know you, you, you can go and blame his weight, you know, his knee issues on, on all that weight. But people forget that this guy was pitching with bone spurs in his elbow um, for almost a full season uh, and to keep us in a race, you know. And, and he was never the same pitcher after that. People don't realize that he pitched with a torn meniscus in his knee and, and kind of caused that degenerative state in his knee by pitching injured for us. So when we want to talk about his diminished, you know, skills, 
people have to understand part of those skills being diminished had to do with him giving us everything he had. So when it came time to pay him, I'm one of the guys that are saying, CC for me, can, can he deserve this? You know, a week go year to year to year with him until he's ready to call it quits. Because as far as I'm concerned, if he didn't do those things, he probably would have had an opportunity to leave here and, you know, multi-year deals for much more money. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking from a loyal fan, you know, to CeCe, but you know, this is, I'm, I'm, man, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the team. Now also with the Yankees adding CeCe Sabathia, I'm hearing rumblings, man, Mike, and you can touch up on this. Um, I'm hearing rumors about the Yankees inquiring about Garrett Cole from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'm also hearing about them inquiring about Zach Grinke from the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I also heard that the Yankees were looking at swapping out Clint Frazier for Garrett Cole from the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, what's, what, have you heard anything on that front? Because I know you've been looking into that. Yeah, well, the, the Yankees have touched on... Um, Touched base with a few teams on a few pitchers. Garrett Cole um, has been one of them. You know, you got to remember something. The Yankees scouted this kid out of high school. They drafted him in the first round. He chose not to sign with the Yankees and go to UCLA, um, where he pitched himself into the number one pick in the draft, the number two pick in the draft. So um, he made the right choice. But this is a guy that the Yankees are, are firmly on. And a lot of people think that this guy's going to win a Cy Young or two before it's all said and done. Um, as far as uh, what Pittsburgh wants back, everybody automatically starts with Clint Frazier. Um, he's a sexy name. I don't think Clint Frazier makes much sense for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and here's why. Clint Frazier, there, there's no DH in the NL, right? So if you trade for Clint Frazier, he has to play. Now, people forget that Pittsburgh is trying to trade, already trying to trade Andrew McCutcheon so they can promote Austin Meadows, who's their prize center fielder of the future. They already have Polanco, and they have uh, Marte, you know, locked up to, to long-term deals already. So their outfield is set. So trading for Clint Frazier, uh, you're trading for a guy that either you're going to be looking to move him or – so you're kind of creating a logjam. So I don't see them saying – I, you know, I don't see why they would want him over, you know, Miguel Andujar and somebody else, a package around that, where right now they're not playing anybody at third base that, that you know, uh, a centerpiece at third base for, for their future. So I don't think Clint Frazier makes as much sense for them as everybody else does. Now, obviously, in baseball, it's different. You know, you, you take the best name possible and, and go from there. Well, I'll but, tell you this much. With all that information... You just gave out the Yankees can trade Clint Frazier for Garrett Coles. Then bye, 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 Clint Frazier. Go right ahead and go. And that makes us a better, you know, that makes us a better team. It makes more sense for us than it does for them. So I'm all about that, Matt Mike. You know, yeah, I'm Yan not though. I don't, I don't think I don't. I, I think you're looking at it, uh, kind of, kind of a glass half full, and I'm looking at a glass half empty, because you only have Brett Gardner for one more season under contract, and Brett Gardner's going to be 35 years old at the end of his contract. You don't want to force yourself into a position where um, you, you don't have anybody, and yes, I know everybody wants to say, well, Aaron Hicks. Well, Aaron Hicks is playing center field here, and and we don't know that these other guys, you know, one, 
we don't know who Aaron Hicks is still. Aaron Hicks had a great April, um, May and mid, you know, mid June, and he stunk the rest of the way. I think he hit two oh five, you know, after after like mid June. So we don't know if we're getting a good Aaron Hicks or a bad one. Even in the playoffs, he was really good against Cleveland, and he was really bad against Houston. So, uh, you know, I think you want to hold on to Clint Frazier. Now, I can I really th- do? I know, I know this is just a pipe dream, and I know what you're going to say. But I'm just going to throw out this name, man, Mike. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper and Bryce Harper. Now, yeah, I don't think... now I'm going to say I'm going to throw out a position to you. Right field, right field, and right field. So <laughs> we're talking about Aaron Judge, right field, Mike <laughs> yeah. Stan, you know, Jan Carlos Stan, right field, yeah. Bryce Harper, yeah. right field. And, and this is what I try to tell people. You know, you got to look at the whole picture. You gotta look at the whole picture. You can't just say, "Hey, go get now, this guy." Because out of those three of guys, day, obviously Judge and you know, I don't think Judge or Stanton will be able to deal with left field at Yankee Stadium. But I think of of the three, if anybody could deal with it, I think Bryce Harper would be the guy that can probably switch over and play left field. Possibly, but at the same time, we're talking about Bryce Harper, who's had knee issues, who's had a lot of bumps and bruises. Um, so he, we're, you know, he's young, but we're talking about a kid that got promoted to the big leagues at 19 years old. We're talking about a guy that's going to get here with seven, eight years MLB experience already. You know what I mean? So it's not like you're getting. You, you're, it, it's. <laughs> You're not getting the prototypical twenty, you know, seven year old that has four years under his belt and a lot to offer. Talking about guys that are come going into their prime with a lot of tread on the tires already. Now I'm not saying that they're gonna fall off a cliff. You you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that you don't give these guys ten year deals. Um, you don't give thirty two year olds ten year deals. You give twenty seven year olds ten year deals. Uh so we'll we'll go there, but uh, I, I wouldn't ask him to play left field in Yankee Stadium. I'm telling you, I think holding on to Clint Frazier and, and acknowledging that you know this guy used to play center field in the Cleveland organization, and, and that's the kind of uh, that that's the kind of uh, you know legs, defense, all out hustle that you want to put in that that big of a left field. Now, does Clint Frazier you know make some waves this year if he's not called up? on the big league squad with all this, these outfielders. But we'll see about that. You might not have a choice but to trade them. But I, I wouldn't be so quick to do it. I mean, I, I think that there's other guys that, that you can target um, without trading Clint Frazier. Maybe Michael Fulmer from the Tigers. Um, I don't necessarily know that Clint Frazier would be who they want. Um, you have other guys like Patrick Corbin uh, who don't, you know, he's on one-year deal. Uh, he has one year left on his deal, so maybe you you, you know, uh, maybe you kind of have reservations about giving up a prospect for a guy like that. You also have Jeff Samarja, who who you know is intriguing to me because I heard you know the Giants, if they don't sign a, a outfielder, if they can't land the guy that they like, if Jacoby Ellsbury is willing to waive his no trade, they they'd be looking to do a, a Ellsbury for Samarja trade, and and that money works. You know, uh, they both have three years left on their 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 current deals, and um, they they make similar money. Uh, you know, so that that might be something to think about as well. Now, the Yankees are turning into, you know, what's going to be the greatest show on earth when it comes to baseball. Now, just, it's odd, man, Mike, because remember when the Yankees were rebuilding, and what was that? Just like a year ago, and isn't it really funny how time slips away? 
You know, if this was a reconstruction, then it was the fastest reconstruction in history. Aaron Judge became an extraordinary compelling figure in his first in his first full season. He hit home runs that caused Jaws to drop and was the American League Rookie of the Year. He's also a soft-spoken, humble 25-year-old kid. Who seemed, you know, right out of right out of century. He's he's done everything the right way. He's always said the right thing, deflecting praise, accepting blame, refusing to talk much about himself, you know, and how his 52 home runs impacted this team. And Judge has always said that it's about the team probably about a thousand times. And now you're adding John Carlos Stanton to the mix. And these guys, as you, you know, as if the listeners don't know, these guys have hit some of the longest home runs in baseball this past season. So, you know, the Yankees, this is this is an excellent move for the Yankees as far as the revenue that they're going to bring in for both these guys. I actually, for, uh, my, you know, I was with my sister-in-law and, you know, we went to Lids. And Liz has this embroidery thing that you could put on hats. And she was like, well, what do you think your brother might want to get? And I was like, well, you know what? Let's get my brother a Yankees hat, Matt Mike. So we got my brother a Yankees hat. And on one side, I had them put um, Aaron Judge. Uh, what is it? All Rise or whatever his, his saying is. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, I got John Carlos Stanton signature. So, you know, I was explaining to my sister-in-law that this hat has over 100-something home runs on the combined total. So this is a special hat. And I was like, look, if my brother don't want this hat, I'll be glad to take the damn thing. As I wear it on my head, I might even get one done before I head back. You know what I'm saying? Back home. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this team. And they're still making moves. Now, granted, you know, we can deem this team as being the best team in the L East. But we all know how that works out. You know what I'm saying? You know, all these moves mean nothing. The Yankees have to go out on that field, and they have to prove that they're the best team in the AL East. And it's baseball, so anything can happen. But on paper, man, this team looks really great, and it looks really really scary. And I'm really excited about this team going into uh, this coming season, man, Mike. I can't wait for baseball, and we're only in December you know, those guys start up in, what, uh, March, pitches and catches, or end of February, or something like that. So I'm really looking forward to that, man, Mike. What's your closing yeah, thoughts that, on that before we move on to the Jets? I think we only have 72 days left before pitches and catches. But my thoughts on the Yankees is a lot of people thought this was going to be a longer rebuild. Um, and that's because uh, most people uh, undervalued what they had already built in their farm system. Um, but, you know, this rebuild was built under high, high quality, high, you know, uh, caliber guys, uh, with, with good personalities. Everybody, uh, likes each other. And, and, um, so it's not just though. I, I know that Stanton and judge are getting all the hype, but Greg bird is the best pure hitter on this team. Um, Gary Sanchez probably, you know, is right up there with him. Uh, so we can't forget about them. Dita Gregorius has completely, completely uh, remade himself and lived up to all that hype that followed him in the Cincinnati organization uh, before, you know, Arizona kind of ruined his value as a prospect. Uh, this, this team, you know, we can't forget about Glybar Torres. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to hit ninth on this team that people are pegging to be a 320 career hitter. 
you know, hit a ninth. And that's that. That's not to mention, you, you know, the, the Chase Headley trade of this week that opens up third base. And remember that I told you um, last week's show that remember the name Tyler Wade. This kid can play ball. He didn't get to show it as much uh, in his rookie season. He can hit. He can fly. So it's going to be good, man. It's going to be it's going to be very, very, very good. Um, uh, but the one thing I will tell the fans, listen, I, I know that a lot of you don't like Aaron Boone. I know a lot of you want to now because you don't you're scared of the unknown. You want Joe Girardi back already. Keep in mind that the Houston Nationals won the World Series this year. And two years ago, when they were ahead of schedule, they were ahead of schedule by two years, and they made some moves, but they made moves that weren't going to, you know, it wasn't a, a right now. They never, ever stopped looking at that window to, to their their timeline, and the Yankees' timeline was 2019. So if they do take a step back this year, they're going for it. They want to win, but they didn't do anything this year that was going to take away from their 2019 season, which is the year where they really were, were setting up for. So, you know, don't it, it isn't always the manager's fault. You know, this is this is a team that that they should win this year. I'm not giving a cop out, but I'm saying that they're ahead of schedule. So let's keep that in mind as well. Now, with that being said, let's go Yankees. Uh, a doodle bird to the Mets. And and before we take a question or two from from our listeners, Matt Mike, I know you wanted to bring up something uh, dealing with the New York Jets and Muhammad Wilkerson. Yes, sir. I just want to say that the Jets can't get rid of Muhammad Wilkerson fast enough. This guy, uh, again with the latenesses, he was just suspended for a quarter two weeks ago, and, and he was suspended for the entire uh, uh, game yesterday. For, for missing meetings again. Uh, this guy made $16 million this year and he can't afford a long clock. It's despicable. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I mentioned it to somebody earlier to, uh, earlier today. Um, and, and I mean it. I don't understand. If I'm one of those guys in that locker room, if I'm Jamal Adams, if I'm Darren Lee, one of the young kids, Marcus May, you know, one of the young leaders on this team, I stand up in front of that camera yesterday and I say, we're all men in this locker room but we aren't all professionals in this locker room. The guys that, that you saw today on the field, they're professionals. Put the bullseye on, on Mo Wilkerson. Force Mo Wilkerson to have to answer questions. He's a dog, man. This is not this is not year one. We're talking about a guy, he's a five-year, six-year guy. He, he wanted to turn the media against this front office and say how he deserved all this money. And now you find out that he's always been late. He's always missed meetings. He's always missed team 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 appointments and stuff like that. This guy didn't deserve his money. He's a clown. And someone needs to hold his feet to the fire. I hope they do cut him. Uh, I, I'm happy to see him lose that $16 million for next year. And I hope the team that, that signs him gives him $3 million. So he can see the consequences of his actions. Look, I agree with you wholeheartedly about, you know, players in the locker room holding him accountable for his actions. You know, because football, along with a bunch of other sports, you know, is a team sport. 
and requires a team effort. And it's not about in the end of, you know, individually, you know, individually you earn your contracts, but at the same time, you know, you have to also be a teammate because when you do things like that, you're letting down, you know, 53 or 52 other men in that locker room. You're supposed to be a leader. Muhammad Wilkins is supposed to be a leader. And that's not what leaders do. And it's a shame that the younger guys, you know, like May and Jamal Adams are going to have to step up and be leaders a lot sooner than what they, you know, than what they may, you know, what they really may have to be. But, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, they need to hold this guy accountable for his actions. And, you know, New York football has been a disaster this year as a whole. Um, I don't even know if it's, things are looking up on the up and up for either New York teams. But, you know, we'll see what happens. And, you know, I, I agree with you that, that, you know, that besides suspending him, you know, the Jets need to hold him accountable. And, you know, that's been the case with Odell Beckham Jr. and some other players, you know, that have, that have you know, been, you know, Janoris Jenkins. There's been a bunch of players playing in the New York football, you know, uh, in a great city of New York that have done things to both organizations where both organizations don't seem to hold these players accountable or accountable enough for their actions. So let's see what happens. But. Before we um, end the show, Matt Mike, we're going to take a question or two for some of our listeners, uh, which we haven't done so in a, in a show or two. So the first question is from Sin City uh, 62, and Sin City is coming out of Buffalo. And Sin City says, you know, he's a listener and, a, you know, he, he loves our show, but he wants to know what our thoughts are. You know, as he said, you know, our predictions for the Knicks, you know, my predictions for the Knicks and your predictions for the Knicks. I had them being at, you know, 20 to 25 wins. You had them between 30 and 35 wins. He wants to know if that prediction has changed from either one of our ends and if we see the Knicks winning 40 or more games this year. So I'll go first, Matt Mike, because I've been the harshest on this team and, um, you know, I'm definitely, I, I mean, I have no choice but to erase that 20 to 25 win prediction because they're already at 16 wins right now. So I would expect the Knicks to surpass that, even though it's still early and you never know what happens. But I'm still going to, I'm, I'm going to say the Knicks have a really good chance of winning 40 games this year, Matt, Mike, because they're at 16 and you figure, you know, four more wins to 20 and then they win another 20 the second half of the season. That puts them at 40. So I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm going to say that the Knicks are going to win more than 40 games this year. Uh, I'll go out on a limb and say I had them at about 30 to 35 um, competitively. And if all things broke right, maybe get close to 40. Um, I'll say that this start has proven to me that they can uh, win 40, but I won't go. I, bear with me, guys. Um, I am the one that said that I think that they're going to play better on the road as they get more road games, you know, under their belt. But let's not forget that they have a ton of road games. So I'm going to say that they might come back down to earth a little bit, but I do think that they have a very good shot at 40. Now, JoJo from Roosevelt, Long Island, he wanted to ask us, you know, if we felt that the Knicks' main focus should be winning the playoff, earning the playoff spot, or getting a high pick in this year's draft. So I'll let you go first, Matt, Mike. I, I, I think that their main focus should be making the playoffs, and, and it's for two reasons. One, um, KP has done nothing but lose his entire career here, and you don't want that to be the standard. We heard his brother already shoot off at the mouth about it, so we we got to keep that in mind. You want him to know that that uh, this there's there's a 
organization, there's a front office in place that can put the right pieces in place to make this this a, a winner uh, long term. You need him to see that. So winning playoffs, that's more important. Two, losing is also a culture. Winning's a culture, losing's a culture. Uh, I know that getting a, a really high draft pick sounds great, but you got to lose a lot of games to, to get a high draft pick. And that locker room, you saw what it did last year. You saw what, what it was two years ago. You saw how this media in this town works. Uh, we don't need that. This team is young. I'm not going to say that they're full of rookies, but they're full of guys 25 years and younger. And you want them to start building a winning culture together. Uh, listen, you can find guys in the middle in the middle of drafts if you if you guys know what they're looking at. And the one thing I will say, and I think you can agree with me, the one thing that the New York scouts have done, they scout foreign players well. So if you're not drafting in the top five, you don't necessarily have to be scared. That's true, and I and, and I'll I'll agree with you, and you know I'm going to answer the question and say, you know I think if the Knicks make the playoffs, it's more beneficial to them. So a they could get a taste of winning, you know they can garnish the experience of winning, they can garnish the experience of what it's like to be in the playoffs, and you know not for nothing if the Knicks make the playoffs, man, Mike, that's a positive sign for players that may think about coming to New York. You know, this is a team that everybody deemed to be awful, including myself. And they're really, you know, they're really playing good basketball. So if you're, you know, I'm not, I don't think the Knicks don't have money to get a top tier star. You know, but when you're looking at those second tier players, or even if when they do create some money for like a car, you know, when Kyrie Irving is a free agent, you know, maybe they can get him to come. But it makes this place so much more appealing when you make the playoffs more so than continuously losing. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, well, throw the season away and get a high draft pick. You know what I'm saying? Because the Knicks have always been picking eighth, picking ninth. You know, the lowest they've picked is fourth, and that was Chris Porzingis. You know, so that was my mindset then. But, you know, in, you know, in all actuality, I would rather this team make the playoffs because it's more beneficial to them to make the playoffs than it is to not make the playoffs. And also, Scott Perry on record said, you know, he would rather them make the playoffs and get a high playoff, you know, than get a high pick as well. So thanks for that question. And we're going to take one more question, Matt Mike. And that question is from Shelly. And Shelly is from North Carolina. And Shelly wants to ask us if we both think or what we think about the Yankees and if we think that the Yankees are going to advance to the World Series in this upcoming season and if they're going to win the AL East. So I'll let you go first, Matt Mike. Uh, well, the Yankees win the AL East. I think the Yankees will. Uh, I don't think they're done by any stretch. I think the Yankees are looking to add a young, controllable top top of the line starter. I think if you if you ask them their honest opinion, Michael Fulmer would be the guy, and then Garrett Cole. Uh, being that Michael Fulmer has already done it in the AL, uh, being that he's probably he's got less of an injury history and he's got less innings on his arms. Uh, I think that they easily win the the AL East. Boston seems to to uh, uh, have taken a step back. They're looking to trade Jackie Bradley Jr. to free up some space to maybe sign a guy, JD Martinez, or you know we have to see how their pitching staff. Uh, you know, does the pitching staff get healthy? Anyway, uh, yes. Now, Houston seems to be their their number one rival. You'd agree with me. Houston Astros. Yeah, yeah, one I, I would, yeah, one thousand percent. 
Okay, so now here's what I'll say about that. The one thing that we we've noticed over over history over the last ten years, uh, teams with younger rosters don't necessarily bounce back from deep playoff runs um, the following year. Uh, look at the Cubs this year; they struggled for most of the year. If you look at the Indians, the Indians struggled for most of the year until that crazy August uh, run. You know, people don't remember that because they finished the season so well. They look like they had this amazing season, but really they were struggling all the way, you know, pretty much to August. Uh, we can go all the Tampa Bay squads. You, you know, you could look at the Cleveland, uh, the Kansas City Royals. Uh, they had two deep runs and then they, they were kind of gassed. So uh, I think that Houston will kind of take a step back this year and that should open the door for the Yankees to make the World Series. Right now, I'll say that I do think that the Yankees will win the AL East. Uh, for whatever reason, Tampa Bay is always up there at some point, and they kind of fade off. You know, those guys are always in the mix. Um, I don't really expect much from Baltimore, but you never know. And, you know, I really don't see, you know, Boston, like you said, being any better than they were last season. I see those guys as taking a step back, and the Toronto Blue Jays are kind of a mess right now. You know, they, they, they're probably not going to sign uh, Jose Batista. Um, so, you know, I don't know what those guys have in line, but the AL East is always competitive and always a tough play. I can probably see one of the wild card teams also coming out of the AL East, but you never know. And again, I see the Houston Astros and I'm going to say the Cleveland Indians also, Mad Mike, because of their pitching um, as being a Yankees. Well, Cleveland big... just lost their starting <laughs> first baseman, bro. Don't well, forget that. They just lost Carlos Santana. It's a big blow. Yeah, where did, where did Carlos Santana sign? So, uh, Philadelphia. Three oh. years, $60 million deal. Oh, so, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, know, if he signed there, you know it's all about the money. Yeah, $20 million a year over three years. He's, he's uh, He'll be 32 coming out of the contract. So I guess if you, if he's, you know, from his standpoint, I get it. I'm 32. Uh, it's better than being 34. If, if you hold out for a five-year deal, you better make it really good because... You know the deals at 34 are going to stink. But a deal at 32, you know, you, as long as you play well, you'll, you'll get a, a pretty good deal. Yeah, well, that that's, uh, that benefits the Yankees. But, you know, Cleveland, you know, they got, they got you know, some good starters in that, in, that, in that starting rotation. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, Houston definitely scares me more than Cleveland. But I do think, you know, at the end of the season, come next season, I can definitely see three of the four playoff teams being Cleveland, Houston and and New York, but we'll see what happens because I think the Angels got a little bit better. I think Texas is going to be better next year, so you know it's not going to be that easy for Houston uh, this coming season as it was last season. But you know, again, I do think you know to answer your question, Shelly, I do think the Yankees are going to win the AL East. I don't, you know, it's going to be tough for them to get into the World Series, but you know, I would say that I, you know, they have a really good chance. They have a stronger chance this coming season and they did the past season you know which there was one game from going to the world series so you know i'm going to say that you know i think they have a greater chance of getting to the world series but it's so hard to do in baseball so you know we'll see what happens and with that being said guys that's going to bring us to a conclusion of this week's show you know me and mad mike want to thank you guys for tuning in you know it's been a strong you know it's been a good start to this, you know, to our podcast, and we have to thank you guys for being the biggest supporters and making this thing go. And as always, without you guys, there's no us, 
We want to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for sticking with us and seeing this thing out as well. And I want to thank the Mad Mike and all of our supporters, you know, Langston Galloway, Joe Rivera, you know, some of our other friends that are calling in, you know, to help the show out. You know, so we want to give you guys a million thanks for doing so. And I want to wish you, the listeners, and everybody, our families, friends, and loved ones, a happy holiday. I hope you guys have a safe, blessed, and Merry Christmas. And me and the Mad Mike will see you guys in seven days. So stay safe and God bless. Hey, Let's vote, baby! All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. Once again, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for sharing and helping to grow the audience of this show. Much appreciated. As always, brand new episodes drop every single Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out LloydAThompson.com. Make sure you don't miss anything. And follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, at LloydAThompson. That's it. Enjoy your week. Stay safe. Peace.